When Shamrock Rovers got one back, tears came to my eyes. When we went two went up and I heard those thousands of Sligo people, I was proud and we went out and won. Best town in the world. Best town in the world. Best town in the world. More drama here. Chilani. North. Elding. 3-2. They've been looking for Stenson's head away at the far post. And over it comes Elliot. Stenson! One more. Episode 28 of the Bitter Red Supporters Trust podcast brought to you by the White Hag Brewing Company. And we are still top of the league. And um, it's been, uh, I suppose, well, we're went to the, the break in the season. Um, and um, we probably should have taken this week off. However, we'd, uh, we have a real, real good guest lined up for this week with Dan McDonnell, who is the uh, football correspondent with the Irish Independent. And you'll know him from Talk, Sp- talk Sport, from News Talk. And um, he also is a co-host of um, the LOI Central. Isn't that what the podcast is called now? LOI Central with Johnny Ward. Um, so we've got him coming up, but we've also got Bob Coggins from um, the White Hag Brewing Company as well, who's um, who's going to have a chat with us. And um, we uh, just, I, I'm not going to forget this, so I'm going to mention it now as well. Um, Leanne from the White Hag has been in touch with us and... Um, the White Hag are offering all of the podcast listeners a 10% discount on um, all the beer on their website. Um, and you can enter the code BITTERRED10 um, when you're purchasing to knock 10% of anything you buy on the uh, on the, on the White Hag website. And all the boys are nodding their head. Magoo, you're nodding your head. You like that? <laughs> good. That's good. Donner, you like that? You're nodding your head? Absolutely. Uh, it's good. It's nice, Jerry, isn't it? Nice little... Yeah, happy days. And do you know what? It runs for 10 days. I think it runs for 10 days. I need to check this out. So when we're chatting later on, I'll do a bit of digging there to make sure that we did it right. Anyway, um, episode 28. So like just before we started recording, we were trying to remember uh, the Harps game. Um, it, it was it was uncomfortable. And I was uncomfortable watching it, Jerry. I don't know I don't know about you, but I was always kind of apprehensive. Yeah, um, the first half particularly um, started off kind of slow. Uh, Finn Harris came out of the traps and your man up front was was some man to deal with. But uh, look, thankfully we got the grips with him in the second half. So the most disappointing thing was conceding so soon after yeah. we had scored and that just unsettled the half altogether and us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Donner, Owen Abbey, did he, did he scare you? He scared me. Jesus. That pace was frightening him behind at times. Just, uh, I think we've uh, a lot of making up to do for Ed McGinty because, you know, yeah. I think without him, we're not we're not talking about three points anyway. He yeah. made two cr- crucial saves from him in the first half as well. Yeah, um, uh, McGill, you might know Abbey is. I know we don't, we don't talk about him all day, but he's been with Harps since March. Uh, I haven't heard a lot about him until uh, the other night, uh, but he seems to have come out of the blue. Yes, yeah. For us, anyway, but we were. Uh, I was asking the other night on the more after the game, um, what age he was because he looked like a, the way he played so raw and young and stuff. But the boys were saying he was 25, so he's always been around a bit wherever he's been. I'll tell you where he's been. I had a look today, he played with um, um, the Manchester United spin off club, uh, FC Manchester 
that, is that what we call FC United? FC United. FC United, yeah. FC United. And um, so he's been playing in England for the last number of years, yeah. And uh, uh, Harp signed it there in, in February. So, um, but he, 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 and he also had the back four, particularly, he seemed to be focusing on, on Buckley. Would you think, would you agree with that? Was he, was he focusing on Buckley? I suppose he probably, I suppose he was told that out of, out of them all, Buckley probably would, would be the slowest one. So that's why he was probably pulling on him, I suppose, for them balls over the top and stuff. But, and he had, in fairness, in the first half, he had them all uh, on tender hooks. They didn't know where they were going with him. He was, he was a, he was a handful for the four of them. Yeah. Um, like he definitely has something about him. Uh, if you're playing to his strengths, he definitely has something about him. But like as as we've seen in the second half, once we cut off the space, we just kind of died out of the game. Yeah, yeah. We we we, we get into the into the Harps game in more detail after we hear the shouts in the shed, and um, we'll log in next week for your shouts. But um, why not send them in anyway and give us your thoughts on how you think things have gone for the season so far? If you've any thoughts about any of the other teams. Uh, across the league, uh, anything that stood out, you get them into podcast at borst.ie. That's podcast at borst.ie, and uh, we'll play them out next week. Um, whatever we do for next week's show, we're not entirely sure just yet. Um, but uh, here's oh, and also before I before I forget, so at the end of uh, the shouts this week, um, you might have heard it. Uh, we put it out in social media last week. We have uh, Sylvia Figueroa all the way from Peru, so she sent in a shout. It came in a bit too late for us to stick it onto the show last week, but she looks back on the uh, the, the Longford game and the Shams game. Yeah, yeah. Shams. yeah, yeah. So she stuck out to the end of it, and she comes in all the way from Peru, and um, she's obviously got some connection to the hill, and you'll uh, you'll hear that. So here's the shouts and the shout-outs. How are you lads? Ronan Flanagan here in Boyle. Yeah, tough game there on Friday night at Finn Park, but absolutely over the moon to get three valuable points. Once again, it's great to see the game out, 10 men. It's a testament to the character that has built up in this team this season. Uh, two goals as well that originated from set pieces. It was great to see the work that's been put in day in, day out, in training ground by the players and the coaching staff, and it's now finally coming to fruition on the match days. And on to draw how do we go. This is Sean from America. Uh, Harps game, very much a game of two halves. Uh, the first half was mad, uh, but it looked to me maybe like uh, Liam was wanting to try different tactics. Uh, seemed like we were the back line was pushed further up, and we were trying to overlap a lot more on the wings from the, with the fullbacks, and it didn't really work out. Um, Luckily, it didn't didn't hurt us too much. Second half looked like we played more our game and settled in and uh, got the win. Uh, Morhan and Buckley and Bolger were all very good in the middle of the park there. And uh, Robbie McCourt was very good. But a man of the match has got to go to McGinty. I mean... Can we get him on a lifetime contract or something? Because he's amazing. And, uh, you know, maybe it's a little bit early, but I say bring on the title. Just go for it. Up the Rovers. Oh, Tonefell Bulls, Lego. Thoughts on the game in Finpack. Another strong performance from Gary Buckley and Jordan Gibson. Uh, if the form keeps on going after the break, we're sure to be there, thereabouts to, for the title this year. Hello from Carlota, from Busco, Peru. I really enjoyed this game against Longford. 
Gibson and Buckley were especially good. Joey on commentary made it so special to listen to. Shams losing made the night even better. I look forward to another three points on Monday. Of the rubbers, of the hill, vive el Peru. After shout to the shout out, as I said, get them in uh, for next week's podcast, uh, email podcast at borst.ie. So we're going to the Sarps game in uh, more detail. Um, we took the lead, uh, Magoo uh, Romeo, after six minutes. It was looking rosy. I was getting excited. Um, what were your thoughts on the Romeo goal, I suppose, first of all? Um, it was a good finish. Uh, ball dropped him, in the, he was in the right place, I suppose, and he, he took it well, kept it down and into the corner. Keeper, no chance. Yeah. Good finish, one up. Yeah. As you, as you say, here we go. This is going to be a nice, handy evening. Nice, relaxing watch. This is great. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the Oral Abbey show starts. Yeah. He had loads of space, didn't he? Uh, he did have loads of space. Yeah. He was, it was like we were saying the other night, it was, you know, we weren't closing down from the front. They were, we were giving their back four plenty of time on the ball to pick out his runs from deep. Uh, Foley's runs from the right, McNamee's runs from deep. You know, it was like if they had the, the back four on, as we were saying, tender hooks, but in fairness, they had a lot to deal with them runs coming from everywhere and no pressure being applied to the ball. So it's easy for lads of that caliber to pick out 50, 60 yard passes when they've all day to do it. So, you know, then at half time, then obviously Buckley and, and the rest of them got to grips with it and you didn't see anything like that the second half at all then. Just dropped five, ten yards further back. Yeah, uh, it was our it was our player that picked out the, the pass for the <laughs> harp school, etc. Yeah, what what happened there again, Jer? So uh, yeah, I just actually watched it back today, and um, just from the kickoff, um, I think it, it comes to Romeo and he gives it into Gibson in and around the halfway line, and uh, Gibb Jordan plays it back, but. I don't know who he was playing a back to, but he played it down the channel uh, to the the Finn Harps right winger. Yeah, but he, he doesn't get anywhere near it. Like you know, uh, like he played him right through and then just crossed it over, and your man finished it off. So it was, uh, yeah. Look, it's just one of those things, isn't it? You know, uh, like I was saying the other day as well. Look, that's that's the, that's you've got to live with those kind of things when you've got players like uh, Jordan and the team. You want them to take chances. You want them to. To not to be safe all the time, and that's just part of it. So I wouldn't be wouldn't be too critical at all. Looked like we switched off a little bit, so we did at the back, and yeah. even from Bulger and Moran, just when the ball is played back through, it just kind of flies through an open space. It just looks like we just weren't switched on for that couple of seconds. But I think that was the for me anyway. That was the team of the evening for the game. I, I thought we looked mentally fatigued, and even physically at times. Well, the, Sean, there was I thought a bit of a theme throughout the game was uh, the the fact that the back four and the midfield two, I suppose, were they were kind of disconnected, and there was that that space. You know, at, at times, obviously, they were looking to get back to front very quickly. Um, Harps were, and you could see if keeper was going long, he was trying to pick out. Um, he was trying to pick out Olabi, but there was like a disconnect between midfield and the back four that just left that space wide open. Although. Um, do you think they got to handle got or got on top for a little bit in the second half? Yeah, definitely. I think you could see it as boys have all alluded to it now as well. Like in the first half, the Olabi is he's dropping off the shoulder all the time for the space in behind. But um, like straight away in the second half, you could just see we it's like we just dropped the yard. 
and we were happy just to take that wee bit of a step back. And it just completely closed off the game for Olabi. He he was gone. He was non-existent for the rest of the game. And Harps were just resorted to firing balls into the box, left, right and centre. wasn't really causing us any trouble up until the very end when McGinty pulls off that wonder save. But I felt in the second half, we actually took control of the game a wee bit more. You know, we were we were the ones pressing forward and obviously we got our goal as well, which was a brilliant finish from Lewis Banks and unbelievable work from John Mahon. But, no, I, I felt look we we dealt with it we dealt with it very well going down to 10 men as well yeah yeah um, just a little word on uh, on um, Mark Byrne he was quiet throughout the game uh, was it too physical a game for him anybody want to was he just just one of those games for him or, or did he play well go on Magoo it's, it's probably just as a young fella the, the as you say the exertion, as Sean was saying earlier, that we looked tired. Obviously, the young fellow only coming in would probably feel it more than, than you know, regular season pros at this stage. So he might just be feeling the effects of a long week. Yeah. Felt he worked hard. Yeah. Given, I think, though, yeah. I, I would take huge positives from that game, though. Um, in that, we learned a lot about... We learned a lot about how to play the game uh, against a team like Harps, who are physical and going... You know, from uh, back to front, very, very quickly. Um, so, like as you you mentioned there as well, like we 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 rectified it in the second half, and that's yeah. the most important thing. So, I think that's a huge lesson that we learned on the road, um, and it'll stand it'll stand to us in the long run. Um, yes. And also, I think. Sorry, Jerry. One. No, go on, Magoo. No, no, go on. Um, no, it's just it, it was good game management as well in the second half, and that we did control the game. You know, like you lads are saying that we looked fatigued and probably mentally fatigued, but at the same time too, we still we went from the getting probably bullied in the first half to rectifying that to controlling the second half, while also looking a little bit uh, jaded. So all of those things you can tick as lessons learned for me, and that's what was hugely positive from that. That's how, I suppose, the team learns yeah. and progresses. And oh, you're, you're, you're right, Jerry. I think um, and that, that sense of being able to uh, problem-solve on the job is something that yeah. maybe in, in previous seasons we might not have been able to... Maybe we didn't have the players with game experience, uh, game management experience, uh, to be able to do that. So, um, you know, it's a phrase that we maybe use frequently this season. But it's probably, yeah, it's probably a game we might have lost. Or we wouldn't have got all three points in previous seasons. No, I, I'd agree with that and, and definitely agree with all Jerry's points as well. Um, I think we've seen a maturity from, a t- from us as well and we showed a huge amount of patience. You know, like in that first half, it would have been very easy to get frustrated and see that we were conceding chances and panic almost and, you know, concede straight away after scoring. And you've more than likely, as we says, you know, a few seasons ago, we go on and lose that game. Yeah. But I think we, we didn't just sit back and take it from there on in. We, we readjusted and got ourselves back in control of the game altogether. Yeah. Um, I think this way too, though, to, to the, way we, the way we finished out the game, the way we played out the game after getting uh, a man sent off, that, to the fact we were able to just pull everybody in and batten down the hatches without mm. ever really conceding too much, too many chances. And if you compare it to the previous weeks, where I remember, I think I mentioned on the pod, after the Shams home game, where we went one up and then we conceded late in the game and Liam was saying in his interview afterwards 
that he wants us to be on the front foot to win games. And the, the week later, we played from Harps at home and we went ahead and we continued on the front foot yeah. and to win the game. And we did the same up in, up in Tala where we were ahead and we never sat back. We never invited the pressure on ourselves. We kept going at it and kept pressing from the front. But then on Monday, we done a completely different, like we did up in Dundalk, where we had the man down and we brought everybody in, we batted down the hatches and we just says, this is where we're staying. And if, if you think you, if you can get through this and beat us, then for pretty. And both neither Dundalk or Harps did. And it's brilliant to be able to say that we have so many strengths or goals and so many ways of playing and be able to win a match. Is, it's brilliant for going forward for the rest of the season. And it's so, just no, on that on. as well, Magoo, is just that um, you know, even when we go down to ten men now, is it's look to Buckley obviously has a system that he brings in when we do go down to ten. It's something they've actually worked on. You can see it because yeah, that's yeah. just not off the cuff on a on a night the way we set up. Because even the way he leaves a couple of men wide in that, we always have an option. We have an outlet ball. It's not just straight back to them. We do have an outlet ball. And we even had, I know they had an unbelievable chance with McGinty save, and I'm sure we'll, we'll go on to it again anyway. But we actually have a brilliant chance as well from Gibson, mm. where uh, McGinley has to make a brilliant save as well. Yeah, We had a couple of great breaks, in fairness. And, and that, that template that's within us for away games this season, three, four, five passes up the pitch chance. Yeah. And that's we had a few of them when we were down ten men. And we were sitting back. It's brilliant, as you say, Sean. It's it's purposely. It's not put ten men behind the ball. It's as you say, the system has worked out. Have six, seven men, whatever behind the ball, and then there's a couple of danger men up there. Yeah, and like it still leaves the opposition with something to worry about. Exactly, and that's the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Twitter was divided and social media was divided as to whether it was a red card or not. Um, you know the issues with the single camera uh, at games. Uh, makes it difficult to get a clear picture of really what's going on all over the pitch. So, Jerry, uh, for you, uh, I don't know if you got a chance to look back at it. I, I know I look back at it uh, in as much detail as I could, trying to freeze it and trying to slow it down. Yeah. What were you, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, just with the the camera as well. The the camera didn't really kind of was hadn't kind of focused in on it really, so it's difficult to pick up. But from what I could see, like. I thought it was extremely harsh, to be fair. Um, look, I know people say you can't move your head, you can't, oh, fucking hell, he barely moved his head at all. And I just think that common sense from the referee there would have booked the two of them, lads, get on the game and just cop on. That's as simple as that. Um, you can go down the ultra, the ultra uh, rule book way and send send them off, and that's what he done. And I think it was flagged by the lines. I just I just think it's ridiculous to be honest with you. The more I think about it, and the more I see it, I just think it's absolutely no common sense, no cop on. Huh? It is the rules, though. Ah, fuck. So, so go on, Miguel. What were your thoughts? You should have walked. Look, I agree with Jerry that. I agree with Jerry that the referee could turn around and just boot to them and like just. And you do see that happen. Yeah, you do see it happen. He didn't touch yeah. him, like, and you do see it happening lots of times. Or even not books to them, just separate them and, you know, tell them to cop on and go off about your business. Like, it is supposed yeah. to be a man's game. But the point about it is, it's in the rules. If you move your head towards an opponent, you're, it's, it's violent conduct. So, yeah. like, once he, the, the big thing is, if he doesn't do it, then he, does, he doesn't get sent off. And that's the whole thing. He moved his head and then he gave the referee the option to go to the pocket. It's the naivety and for me. That's, Look at the, at the, at the, at the at the end of it at the end of, at at 
before there's not like there's no point in this I'm not gonna go in and Romeo anyway because it was it was a stupid thing, but I would say him more than anybody uh feels as bad about it. He, he obviously feels worse than anybody I would imagine and oh, of course what a mistake it was. There's no point in going in it's it's done now and as Jerry says any, another referee might send him off and I suppose without him in the last two games we wouldn't have got six points. So yeah. You know well, as Jerry said earlier with them with them type of players we just had to take to go with the bad at the minute and Roll with us. Um, Sean, did you... I mean, I looked at, at the time, during the game, I said, he's got to go straight red. Mm-hmm. When I went back and looked at it afterwards, I kind of felt it was inconclusive. You know, because of the distance, the camera's so far away from the incident, it's hard to know the distance between Romeo and... Was it Siddiqui? I can't remember. Um, but um, I, thought it was kind of, I thought the evidence in the end was pretty inconclusive. For us, maybe yeah, but linesman standing right there, you know, it's it's plain as day for him. But it's it's not the look. He hasn't gone and smashed him in the face with a head like that. Yeah. That hasn't happened, you know. But he's he's made the intent, and that's just a naivety for me. Is it's well, there beside an official? Yeah, but another annoying thing for me there is so is that um, like why are the the particular in particular the the lines uh, people uh, so inconsistent? They. Like sometimes they can't make them. They, they can't make the decision for a throw in that's right beside them. But he can make a decision that he's throwing the head at Siddiqui. Like, like so. At what point are the linesmen involved in the game, or they're not involved in the game? That they can make a decision, or they can't make a decision. It seems to be very uh, make it up as you go along, in my opinion. And when it comes to making money uh, for the FAI, they're all in. Yeah, like <laughs> someone put up a stat actually there yeah. during the week, like yeah. sixty-three yellow cards or something, and five red in the Premier Division. There was only five bloody games. <laughs> yeah, it was nuts. Ah, oh, come on! Like that's that's. See, but Jerry, actually, the easy to start. Sorry, Sean. Actually, I was uh, last night, um, and I'd say everybody has seen it, but um, Cliftonville were playing oh, uh, yeah. Crusaders, right? Oh god! And the penalty, right? And the linesman didn't see it. In fairness, the linesman didn't see it. Right? He didn't see it. Didn't see it. Referee and all that says it's not a goal, right? But. Some of the comments that I actually seen um, on Twitter or Facebook about that was several people said, I stopped going to Irish League games because the referees and the linesmen were so bad and they ruined the game. And that's where we're in huge, huge danger of in the League of Ireland. Every, like, and I think with the League of Ireland platform, the Watch LOI, people are getting to see every game and they're getting to see all of these crazy mistakes. And there's crazy mistakes happening in every single game. And we're in real danger of turning potential fans of clubs off because of their antics. And I, I just think it's it's like 63 yellow cards and five red in five games. Come on. And there's not a bad tackle in any of the games. It's obscene. Yeah. Very frustrating. I just, with regards to Romeo, you know, at the end of the day, look, no, it was just it is it is the rule. It's it's annoying. And like I I was raging, he was sent off. I was I was annoyed with him because it's just that little bit of naivety that you just Cosworth. don't make that intent. But look, he'll write his wrong yeah. down the line anyway. But it's, it's look, I do agree. What? It's Codswell. It's absolute it's a it's a joke. And going back to the point of the linesman can't give a throw in, but he can make a decision like that. And like the referee, come on, as Magoo said, it's a man's game. For fuck's sake, like, he barely moved his bloody head. Just tell, look, lads, get on with the game, cop on. Yeah. Instead of making these, no, instead of making these big monumentous decisions that completely changes the game, that completely changes the game for, for the viewers, 
there was a good, in fairness, the first half, Hearts were the better team. 20 minutes in the second half, it was nip and tuck, end to end. The commentators were commenting, commenting on how good of a game it was. Straight away, one tiny, one small misdemeanor, the, refer, the linesman decides to make a decision for once, and the game is completely changed. And that's where you're going to turn people off. Yeah, but and that's a bigger injury, problem. Like, it's, it's, huh? not like a ta- it's not like a tackle, though. It's not like a misdemeanor. Ah. Tackling is part of the game. By behaviour. Come on. Move, moving your head towards an opponent isn't part of the game. So if you don't move your head, you have no chance of getting sent off. It's, Look, not, like a mis, it's not a mistimed tackle where you can go, Jesus Christ, you got the ball, and the referee takes out the card, misreads the situation, sends him off, and everybody's up in arms about it. If you move your head towards it, you're giving the referee an option of taking the card out. Yeah. And he, he, there's no... Like, you have to... Which it wasn't even the referee. It was the linesman. That's half but, my point. But ro- roles reversed... He can't right. give it to him, but he can make a decision like that. He's quick to call over the referee. Ro- it's roles roles reverse. Roles reverse. They want to be sent to stage. Yeah, but roles reverse. We're screaming for Sabiki to be sent off. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Listen, we need to mention Ed McGinty. Um, again, the season is becoming. Um, it's becoming. Uh, he's becoming a, more and more of a, uh, a standout player for as the season progresses. And he had some. He had some incredible saves. Uh, again, in this point blank saves that he's pulling off on a regular basis. Uh, Sean, he's been great, really. He's been sensational. So he has. I think we're running out of superlatives for him now at this stage because every game he's just been immense now for the last while. I think even in the first half, he's crucial. Uh, His his reading of the game, you know, he's those runs in behind from Olabi, he comes out and he smothers two of them at his feet where it was, you know, it was just quick reactions from him. And then I think he makes a save then as well where he just gets fingertips to it. It actually should have been given for a corner. And it, 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 they're, they give a goal kick instead. Yeah. It's from an Oalabi again towards the end of the first half. I nearly, I'm nearly sure he gets fingertips on it. I could be wrong, and it just turns it round the post. He's he nearly spreads himself like a Peter Schmeichel dive. Yeah, at starfish kind of, one. and then what can you say about that save in the second half? That's just that's out of this world. How how he gets his body in that shape that quick? Like it's point back. Yeah. Um, I vote uh, the club are looking for their Worley's player of the month uh, today on uh, on the website and social media uh, obviously a lot of good uh, you know you've got a lot of good options or good candidates for the player of the month but I think the keeper takes it hands down Jerry what do you think yeah I voted for McGinty so I did actually hands up yeah but uh, yeah I actually voted for, for McGinty as well um, I think he's been outstanding uh, particularly over the last month and the, the lads were saying earlier, look, you know, he's uh, he's really kept us in, uh, in in that game there tonight, or sorry, on Friday night, and uh, previous games to that as well. And look, what I'm always saying as well is that he he he, he always comes, he always comes, uh, no matter if he's made a mistake or not. Uh, 99 times out of 100, he catches it. Um, and um, yeah, look, I think he's got the best record as well in terms of stats and stuff like that, so. I just think he's the best keeper. And look, we keep saying it, it. It's nearly like the the weekly part of the show where we say McGinty's the best keeper in the league because we're just saying it that often. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's 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 um, it's brilliant. And like he's really, it's yeah. like he's grown into the season, McGill, isn't it? He has, yeah, definitely. Like from the preseason, he had a couple of mistakes, and then to the knock game. But he's never let a phase him or bother him. He's just, as you say, he's just grown into it. He keeps doing his thing. Um, like Sam saves the other night for. There was two was Sean's the one the first half and the one the second half. There's two world class saves. I was saying afterwards that the no replays done him a real injustice. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and the slow and slow motion and stuff like that. 
um, and I have watched it back, so I can't co- like comment anymore on them. But you know, the thing with keepers is that what makes you a good keeper from the start as a young fellow stuff, I suppose, is going to be your shot stopping and your reflexes and stuff like that. But it's the other stuff, the shots that coming out of the feet of fellas, uh, coming out spreading themselves, claiming crosses in a crowded area and stuff like that. Stuff like that is, is what makes him the top keeper that he is, really, because it's like most of the keepers in the league are going to be good shot stoppers. So, you know, they might be the, the ones, some will be better than others, but they'll all be decent at, uh, and have quick reflexes. And everything. But it's, it's that, the decision-making, his decision-making last, this year, has even improved. Like, he come on, he's come on leaps and bounds in the last couple of years, but his decision-making this year has just been brilliant. He's a complete keeper. He is now, yeah. I think he is. Even his, his, his distribution with defeat and everything has yeah. really improved. Yeah. It's actually something as well that's a huge benefit to us in the way we play as well. He's always an outlet for Mahan and Buckley and even either Banks or McCourt, whoever's playing a fullback, he's always an option for them to keep the play alive. Not that, you know, that they don't have to send it long or anything. They can always come back to him and restart the play again and find another option out wide again because he's very confident. He's not, a, he's not afraid to take it in a tight area or anything. Yeah, and he does something every game, whether it's, it reflects well or not on, on the team, but he does something almost in every game where he's called on, Jerry, yeah? Yeah, just, I, I'd like to make a point there as well that... um. He's actually, for a team that's top of the league, right? Normally when you've got a team top of the league, you've got games where the goalkeeper doesn't really have a lot to do. Um, and I don't think there has been a game where we could say McGinty didn't have quite a bit to do. Mm-hmm. So that just shows you his importance as well to yeah, the team. Um, and as well, I think it's, it, it proves that Rovers is a very good club for, for young fellas to come through because... You know, he you could McGinty could be a player now, right? Say he stayed in Scotland and he, or he could be going to England. He could be playing under twenty three, uh, Premier League football in the first in League One or League Two or whatever the case that may be. And it's not really real football. Like for a guy that's just turned twenty one, what better schooling, um, would you have? Than, than, than that game the other night against Finn Hearts. Like, we talk about the team learning. I think that McGinty would have learned probably more in that 90 minutes than he would in a year playing for another team or playing for an academy team. It's priceless. Mm-hmm. So, I know there has been one or two words, oh, well, Dundalk would love to get him and they throw money at him. Like, and McGinty's a smart lad and he's got his head screwed on. But if he wants to make it as a top, top keeper... He's playing in the right games at the right time for his development. There's no point in him going to Dundalk or Shamrock Rovers. Or no, no. So, listen, lads, we have to wrap it up. Um, uh, so, um, listen, we'll take, we'll take the three points regardless of how they come. And um, I suppose, I suppose we're, we're, we're grateful for the, for the likes of, of Ed McGinty. Okay, so um, up next... Uh, huh? Amen. Amen, yeah. Up next, we speak Amen. with um, Irish independent journalist Dan McDonnell on uh, a topic that came up on Twitter uh, after the Finn Harps game. Um, it was literally right where, where Sligo Rovers ended up in the Irish Independent um, on the page, sports page of the Irish Independent uh, at the bottom of the page. Uh, and um, they were below uh, a lesser game, I suppose, in the league, which got more coverage. So we speak to Dan McDonnell about how regional teams have to... Um, are they getting busy? Are they getting a fair crack at the whip when it comes to the national media? Okay, so we have Daniel McDonnell, um, journalist with the Irish Independent, uh, their football correspondent and co-host of League of Ireland Central. 
the podcast with Johnny Ward that's available on all the major podcast platforms. And Dan is also, um, as many of you will know, a frequent contributor to Off the Ball and News Talk between Mondays and Fridays. And, um, you know, we're speaking to Dan this week um, on the back of, interestingly, on the back of a tweet that um, uh, uh, Jim Gray posted on Twitter uh, on Saturday morning. Jim took a photograph of the League of Ireland coverage in the Irish Independent. And um, so Sligo Rovers obviously beat Harps 2-1 uh, to maintain their position at the top of the league. And um, that game got about, you know, I haven't counted the word, but there's maybe 200, 250 words and it's positioned at the bottom of the page. Whereas um, the St. Patrick's Athletic Nil Dundalk game is definitely the feature um, coverage with a photograph and a, a, a larger headline on the page. And um, so... Jim had posted to Twitter the image and he said, nice to see the league leaders getting a bit of coverage, bottom of the page, top of the table, hashtag a bit of red. And um, that's where this conversation comes from, Daniel, and you kind of responded to, to the, um, the Trust uh, uh, Twitter account on the back of it. So um, with all that in mind, are you going to um, bust open or let us inside the conspiracy of <laughs> the, uh, the Dublin media against um, us poor regional League of Ireland teams? Yeah, well, listen, I mean, uh, as I was just saying to you briefly off air, like, I, I do actually understand where a lot of the ire comes from. And I say this as someone who, like, grew up myself when I was younger as, like, a sort of a massive League of Ireland fan who probably used to rage a bit about coverage of League of Ireland in newspapers and other media. And in fact, Emmett Malone, who's in the Irish Times, um, who's someone now I work alongside all the time, although he's, he's taken a sabbatical, just went to news reporting for a while, would often tell the story of receiving like an, a, an irate email from me, you know, when I was a teenager complaining about something or other, which I'm almost sure that I then like published on a website, his like confidential response to me. You know, I think I published that. You know, so basically like, you know, I, I, I now, there's something about me getting the type of criticism sometimes that I used to dish out which I think is a fair there's some kind of like karma there which I think is actually fully deserved and merited but you know as 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 I'm now probably on the other side of the offense like you you see things um in, in different ways like the whole thing of um there being some kind of uh you know Dublin centric media there's there's both truth and there's uh, fiction, you know, there's to, to the whole thing, right? There's ge there's a geographical truth to it in that you have a small pool of national staff, national staff newspaper reporters in the country, and the majority of them all do live, uh, no, all of them do live, and I say small, it's very small, all will live, you're talking about national newspapers, right? Live within the radius of Dublin, and that's because practically, unfortunately, to do your job, like that is the region where you tend to need to be uh, situated because a lot of the business of what we do um, is is like primarily, you know, quite often centered around the national team and then the League of Ireland, and that's how the priorities would be shaped. And obviously, a lot of this stuff would happen out of Dublin. You have more clubs in Dublin. It's just the way things happen. It's not ideal, you know. I I wish the League of Ireland was a bigger and better and more thriving operation so that you needed a full-time Western reporter and a full-time Southern reporter. And, you know, I, I wish that would were the case, and uh, but it's not. And, um, like, a lot of this breaks down into the debate of, 
where the League of Ireland stands in the in this sort of ecosystem of, of Irish media, you do, do, know, do, and in do, terms do, of popularity and, and interest levels. Do, does the so does the, the national media fail the league at times due to well due to, due to this uh, geographical location? I don't think it fails the league, but I think it's listen. The, the, let's break down last Friday, right? Let's the specific example that you mentioned. Okay, so it, Jim makes the point that 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 Saga Rovers were league leaders. Should they be the main? Report. Okay, I, I see where that's coming from. But generally, the main game in most newspapers on a Friday, uh, I can't speak for all of them, but in most newspapers will be dictated by where your staff reporter is at. The reason that is, is because your staff reporter works only for you. The stringer could be doing a newspaper, a stringer would be like the freelancers who might be based locally, could be doing the game for five, six, seven newspapers. I've been there myself in my younger days as a freelance, and they, they can only give you so much. And the, the notion would be that the staff reporter is your own person. They have more time to write a slightly more considered or, or not, as the case may be, type of report. And, um, you know, so, so you're, you're, you're a guy or girl, but it's generally guys, you know, um, will, will be able to report to specific demands and shape and needs. And also, particularly when you have like a pretty tight deadline on a Friday, albeit the Sligo Rovers game is 5.45, but I accept that point. But the page plan for Saturday would be done well in advance. And yes, the main report would be the game that your guy is at. Now, the fact of the matter is, and I, I this is this is a frustration for me, but also like a reality of it, is that you know, you and I can't talk too much out of school here. I don't think I'll get in trouble for saying it, but generally, like the the mindset would be okay, that as much as for every League of Ireland fan of every club, like their club is their passion. And for me, like I'm hugely passionate about the League of Ireland. Like it's my League of Ireland game on Friday is one part of my working day, and my um, my my bosses would probably take the view. But if you're going to send your staff guy around the country to do a game, that's not just about the two hours of the game. That's like basically a ten-hour day if you throw in a round trip to go somewhere. And for example, last Friday for Saturday. I would have had to do a 1,000 word piece for Saturday on Anthony Barry, the Irish coach, Chelsea Champions League, which would have been part of my working day for Friday. And the bottom line would be that you will find that sending reporters out of Dublin to do match reports, um, there would be a view taken, well, that's a whole day's work. Is, is it worth it when actually you have to do a lot more other things in that day? And with all due respect, a Finn Harps be, be Sligo Rovers game in week 13 of the season is a bit different animal from four games to go if Sligo Rovers are top of the league well then of course you know yeah. the argument would be well then this is the game you have to go and cover because this is your whole day's focus but it's not now this this is where it comes back to the League of Ireland's um, place in the game as such you know like I looked at now online data is flawed but it can be useful. It's a bit mixed bag. Like you could, you could do a story and say with online media, for example, you know, well, listen, here's a picture of like, you know, as I said this before, here's a cat who looks like Hitler, you know, and that could get a million hits. Right. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you, there's a massive interest in cats. You know, okay. it can be a very catchy title, but I did look before I came on here just for a bit of information purposes of like my top 50 articles in the last month in terms of the most hits. Right. And uh, of the top 50, um, 
the Sligo Rovers match report beating Shamrock Rovers was in at like 24th, right? I had two pieces last week on Liam Buckley and Greg Bulger, Mondays and Tuesdays, which were down at like 44th and 45th, you know, quite low down the list. Now, if they were consistently, if every story I did on Sligo Rovers was absolutely flying and it was up towards the top of the charts, then it's very easy for me to go to the to my bosses and say, actually, we can see that there's a massive interest in this subject. I should make my working day on Friday going to see this game. And we should, we should work around that because there's a massive demand for it. And the thing is, and this is the irony of the whole thing, right? And this is where I think it's funny that often the, the criticism and the abuse will come to the reporters themselves, right? I would bloody love to be going to Sligo every couple of weeks. I think that would be brilliant. Um, but there's also logistical issues. There's travel expenses issue with, issues with that. And these are all the factors that unfortunately come into the real life, boring, but pragmatic reasons and decisions that are taken. Like we were actually, it was a couple of us, the Dublin media with our agenda folder. <laughs> we were having a discussion after the game in Tala on Monday. And we were saying, this is brilliant. Like, you know, Sligo are top of the league now. We might get a few trips down there this year. You know, we were sort of reminiscing about 2012 and 2013 when we would have been down there quite a bit because you were winning leagues and you were top of the table. And unfortunately, from our perspective, you need to be up there consistently and challenging to get to go to, to, to those games because the argument would be there's not enough people reading the reports of these games to justify sending you spending X amount um, to take a whole day out to go to this match. That's an opinion. I would argue with it sometimes, but that is the reason behind it. It's not a case of, well, I'm just going to Shamrock Rovers or Pats or not because it's easier. Um, like that, that is a, a big factor in it, but there's like logistical and financial reasons behind it, which, which inform it. Do you, do you think there's any way that say modern technology could maybe kind of redress that um, going forward? Well, I had this from someone like, you know, well, the games were on a watch LOI or whatever. Well, no, because journalism to me is about reporting and going to a game. And like you, the whole point of like reading a match report is that in theory, and particularly actually in these closed doors times when fans actually aren't in, you can hear shouts or see or hear things that, that you know, people, unfortunately, spectators are locked out. A lot of your listeners are, I'm sure, like beyond frustrated yourselves. Like, you know, and I'm very conscious that we're in a privileged position to be able to go to games. Uh, at the moment but the idea that you would sit at home and like do the game off the telly like that's not something personally that to me is like you know that's the opposite of what I I sort of try to do like you know in in work you know and but I understand the frustration I had this with Cork City a couple of years ago when Cork City were top like I could only get to Cork a couple of times a year just purely because like there was just financial and logistical reasons behind that and they would think but why is this game you know given, you know, uh, priority over it. And there are just reasons for it that are not, like, I, the reporters themselves would absolutely love to be going out traveling all the time, but we don't have the evidence of readership to justify making that argument. And that's the problem. And I always say to people, please don't complain to me if mm. you're unhappy about Sligo Rovers coverage. Please, you know, and I mean, I'll get in trouble for saying it, but please, you know, contact, you know, my superiors like go write letters to the editor and say why aren't we doing more of this because i generally find when there's a complaint that goes in at that level it generally people will have it consider it and think about it and they'll come back and it might come back to me in that way but if it comes to the people directly who actually would love to be going themselves and are sometimes a bit frustrated that they they, they can't travel around the country as much as they'd like 
and um, it's just like it's just it's just annoying it's just ironic because you're there going actually i'd love to be going but dan you know um, how you said I about can't. um like about hits and things like that and how the piece when you done with Liam buckley was down at number 44 or 45 yeah. whatever, whatever the case may be so would you find say for instance like would shamrock rovers get a, a hell of a lot more hits than say an article about Sly rovers well i thankfully i did actually prepare something for that as well because I looked at my top 10, you know, and I had four League of Ireland articles in the top 10. Right now, now as I said, I want to say this. This is online data. And we also have newspaper yeah. readers who are completely different. And actually, you know, there's obviously a debate. You can get misled because sometimes the online readers are the people who might never buy a newspaper. And, you know, so there's obviously two different sides to it. And you will find, I actually do find there's particular clubs around the country when I do go there, I would get a lot of, you know, say, face-to-face feedback from people who are clearly readers. And to be fair, Sligo was one of the places where I've actually found that. Um, and then Dahl could be another, you know, and you know, you obviously get an idea that there would, there would always be a thing that the Indo maybe wouldn't be as big in Cork. That was part of the reason why, because they'd have the Examiner, which would be a big Cork paper. Maybe our sales wouldn't be as good down there. And that's maybe why it would be harder to justify going there. Same with Derry, you know, and there are, these are just boring, but factual reasons. That, that you know that people make decisions for anyway the four articles I had in the top 10 again the, of the league of ireland ones um there was a grain burke brian Kerr spat you know at, at that that so again it's a classic case of that was a headline grabbing thing but the other three were uh jim mcgillton talking about jim mcginnis again again you know you can see the bit of stardust from coming from yeah. that i did a big piece on dundalk's finances a couple of weeks yeah. ago that was high up there and here we go, the match report of Dundalk against Shamrock Rovers, but that did follow after the Dundalk protest. Now, like, here's the thing, right? Like, Dundalk, for example, is a story at the moment. Now, this is my background is, is Dundalk. That's I'm from RD quite close there. I grew up going to Dundalk. It's well known, I think, by people. Like, but, like, for example, last year, I did a piece on the Dundalk, um, the whole behind-the-scenes chairman interference yeah. stuff. Yeah. We now have a subscription newspaper. Like, we're behind a paywall online as well and certain pieces get put you know behind premium we got more subscriptions out of that piece than any other uh article last summer you know in the and i'm talking gea rugby everything you know so obviously when i then end up in a discussion now about say you know well there's a story going on about dundalk and the finances and what's going on there you know, there's going to be an instant take up and interest and space given to it because we can actually see that this is actually sold before. This is work. There's, there's an interest there in that particular story. Whereas I think with Sligo Rovers, and I think, but I will say it, like there's two sides to this. I could go on about the data of those stories, right? They weren't particularly like big pieces or like, you know, like amazingly researched and, and, and big feature reads. Like, do you know what I mean? They were run of the mill uh, pieces. And I will say that myself. Like, you know, I did a piece in Longford last week that did reasonably well because it was unique and people from Longford would be like, well, this is good that we actually have peace on us. And I will accept a criticism that, you know, there's a, there's a story brewing in Sligo now um, that is demanding a more featurey type of piece about what's actually happening there. And I would suspect if you do that properly and push that properly, it probably would get good figures to build it up the list. Yeah. But I'm just saying that you went top of the table last Monday. You know, the game against Finn Harps was three days later. Uh, with COVID, we have to apply for games a couple of days in advance, you know, and there are just reasons in place. And it's week 13, and unfortunately, it's early in the season. 
Um, and and there's there's no great reason behind why the game didn't get as much as it did. There, there's just there, there are logical reasons behind it. As much as I know, they are frustrating to hear from your perspective, um, and can almost seem like sort of classic, almost patronising stuff. Well, you know, you'll you'll get your your day in the sun and all that. Like I can understand why that sounds like a lot of bollocks, like you know. But the, but that is sort of the you know that these these are the factors driving it, and I would hope as the season goes on, there's loads more coverage. But you probably do need to stay up there around the top of the table to sometimes justify getting that from national media based in Dublin. Yeah. Do you think um, though? Do you think? Do you think that there's um, you know? Uh, so are Shamrock Rovers fans interested in reading about um, topics that are not specifically on the field related, um, going on the showgrounds? Are you know? Do you think that? Just, I mean, when you take that piece, for example, of those two pieces um, that you wrote about Dundalk's finances. Um, so I bought the paper on the back of that. You know, I said, I, I want to actually sit down at the kitchen table and, yeah. and read that piece. So I'd go across the road by the paper. So but do you think that if there's, um, do you think if there's stories that are maybe not specifically about match reports, um, but there are other topics related to clubs, are other fans interested in, re- in reading about uh, other clubs' uh, off-field um, stories? That's a good point. I think that's a very good point. Um, I don't know. I think like it's part of a broader debate about media generally in every country. Like you look at you look at it in England now. Like you'll have a lot of Liverpool fans say who would listen to the Anfield rap or you know the like pe- people can consume all the media they want through their own club podcasts such as this one, you know, or you know whatever sort of websites and stuff that there is, and there's almost like at times, you know, people drift away, like they, 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 they consume all their stuff in that world. And there, there is a debate sometimes around that, but, but, but I, I don't know. I, I think if, like, I would always make, the, like, I would make the case, this is, I would make the case for more League of Ireland coverage every day. Like, you know, people are in my office pretty sick of me saying it, but obviously, you know, it, it, like you need some kind of take up to the stories to fully justify it when unfortunately they will go well. How many, well, when things are in normal times, you know, but how many is at that match relative to how many is at, yeah. you, know, you know, Krog Park or Connacht Rugby or something, you know, and, and all these metrics are flawed and yeah. I, I would, I would argue them, but I, sometimes you have to go, okay, I see your point. Yeah. You know? So you don't, you don't think that there's an actual kind of uh, content, a League of Ireland content void that's been filled by the likes of the Bitter Ed Supporters Trust podcast or Tales of the East End or whatever it might be. Oh, no, they are. I think, listen, I think like podcasts in general have become a massive thing in recent, you know, obviously become a massive thing in recent years. Like I'm, I'm involved in one myself and even we're five years old now. And when we started, there wasn't too many other podcasts around on the scene. And now like there's almost saturations. Like everyone's got a podcast. If you don't have one at this yeah. stage, like what are you doing? Like, and, and as a result, then, in a way, sometimes it can be harder for your individual message or piece to be heard. Like, this is the point, like, about last week, you're getting a bit of grief from people. And I was sort of saying, I wonder how many people that are venting here about national media coverage have bought newspapers this week. Like, you know, I felt like just going through and going, like, people, it, it's, it, it becomes like, it, it's something that's ingrained in people's minds. The national media don't give coverage. And it's, it's like a it's a truism that's it like this is an undisputed fact and it's like well how many times have you tested that theory this week because last week i know like there was big pieces on on sligo rovers in tuesday's papers in wednesday's papers and in friday's papers you know like i actually i don't have them in front of me here but like big pull out coverage and stuff um 
And, you know, I would say as well, and I think the, the Sligo Rovers media operation is actually a good one. They're one, of the, they're, they're one of the better clubs in that regard in terms of accessibility for players and stuff. But sometimes when you have, like at the moment, particularly in pandemic lockdown, lockdown times, there's 20 clubs in the league. I think there's maybe, you know, six or seven that are doing regular media events that as in that everyone gets invited to like when when Sligo Rovers had the big announcement a couple of weeks back about the the future plan like that was obviously very well managed by the lads there and you know it was it got good coverage I think you know got it got, got blanket coverage and it was arranged now what I would say is like that's not all the time and there may be different reasons for that like every St. Patrick's Athletic Dublin club but they do a zoom media zoom thing every week you know with a player and manager guaranteed attendance and coverage. Dundalk do a press conference in the flesh every week. Shamrock Rovers do one before every home game in the flesh. Um, and uh, in the first division, I think Cork City and Cove do a bit of Zoom stuff or whatever. And like other clubs don't really do that on a regular basis. And naturally, if you have a busy day and a lot going on, people will gravitate towards the arranged, organised event because um, you're doing a lot of different things. And like it just so happens that the three clubs that are doing the most of those events are Dublin area clubs. But like, I tell you, if there was like a weekly Zoom with like uh, you know the Sligo Rovers manager or with the Jerry Seaton manager or whoever was topical, I think it would be very well attended and they got a lot more coverage off the back of it. Just so happens that you know there are geographical and logistical factors that that make things a bit more complicated. Do you want to come in there with anything? Yeah, um, I think as well that um, I suppose you kind of got a bit of a wrath from the from Sligo Rovers fans, but it's kind of a, a general thing in, in terms of like Sligo and the Northwest kind of feels forgotten anyways. And uh, mm. like, like Sligo Rovers would be very much a representative of Sligo and the Northwest. And I suppose that, you, you, you know, like it's just the media has probably taken the, the brunt of that at times. Yeah, and, and listen, now you can completely understand where that comes from and like I'm not just going to come on here and like you know sort of just it just sounds like you're coming on to like to say platitudes just to be populist or something it's not that like like you know I, being from quite close to them dog and I always if it, I always put them dog and Sligo in a you know in a similar bracket and that it's they're just two of my favorite places to visit as a League of Ireland fan because you can walk down the street and see people wearing shirts of the club like predominantly, actually, that's what you will see. But that's what I love going to the showgrounds because of the energy that, that generally tends to be around the place. That buzz of like, this is a club that really matters. Like this matters to its community. So for, when you have those that depth of feeling, like I completely understand why you would feel like when, it, when it's your life and it's your club and then you open a paper on a Saturday when your club's top of the league and you're getting the buzz, you're thinking, yes, I want to read more of this. I want to read, I want, like, give me everything you've got on this. Like, this is our moment. And you see a very small report. I understand, like, where that frustration comes from. I don't have any issue with it. But there are reasons behind it that it's not part of some, like, it's not a deliberate slice. Yes. But I, I appreciate that it's not ideal. Like, I do appreciate that it's not ideal. And if the League of Ireland was bigger business, it wouldn't be just one page on a Saturday. Like it would be, it would be two pages or three pages. And to be honest, for all of us who cover the league, that's our dream. Like that would be brilliant for us. That would be better for us. We'd probably be, you know, we'd probably be earning more. You know, like there'd be a lot better things going on in our life if the league was bigger, and and we could like 
I could wake up on a Monday and go, well, I'm just going to this game because that's the game I want to go to. And there's no questions asked or answered because it's the League of Ireland and it sells. And wherever you go, it doesn't matter because that's the game. But the reality of it is that it's harder, particularly just, you know, for the, the match report week to week stuff to, to make the argument for that coverage. And what I have to do is be more creative and like resourceful and say, okay, I want to do a big piece on say, for example, I might do this piece at some stage. What about a big piece on like the, the four uh, lads who've come through the academy system, say that are in the first team last week, you know, like, do you know, Mahan and Morahan and Mark Byrne and Johnny Kenny say, why don't I do a piece around that? And that's something that I probably should do and probably will do. And then you can make the argument, well, this is worth your, your, your big spread. And that should be the case. And I should be doing that. But there will always be a danger that the Sligo Rovers home game, because there's no staff reporter at it, may still at times be a 300 word, 350 word report. Particularly actually when you have games on Saturday evenings at home, for whatever reason, and this is not my thing at all, you know, just Sunday, some Sunday papers don't take very much League of Ireland at all. Uh, and bloody hell, I can understand completely um, why you would open a paper on a Sunday if, if Sligo Rovers play was a draw in a couple of weeks, is that the next game? Or, you yeah. know, and yeah. I can understand seeing three, four paragraphs the next day and being miffed. I'd be miffed as well. Um, but that, that, that may possibly happen. Uh, finally, for me anyway, Dan, as... Um... Just to, to look at the um, the landscape of the kind of fan-driven content that's been produced, does that influence uh, traditional media in any way? Or do stories come out of that? Or I know just as an example, just an opportunity to plug last week's podcast, um, Sean Dunn, who's one of our team, did an interview with uh, Richie Ryan, who's obviously playing his football yeah. uh, in the States. And um, uh, Richie told us about, um, you know, the conversation that he had in you know, was it, I can't remember the year now, but um, with the former Sligo Rovers um, um, chairman, uh, where the, the chairman basically told him, Dermot Kelly told him, um, you know, you, we're going to give you a contract of 100 quid a week and you need to live with your parents down in Tip Tipperary and, um, and, you know, commute up and down the road. And that was the kick in the arse that he needed to get his career on the road. So my question is, you know, do you get stories out of what, what we do or, or how does this kind of fan-driven content influence, if at all, the, the national? Well, listen, if you're doing your research properly, it should. Like, if I'm going to a game on a given week, whoever it might be, like, you know, you, you, that's when you tend to dip in and out because there's genuinely so much of it at the moment. This is the thing. Like, there used to be a time where, you know, and I go back to, to you know, sort of my early days as a sort of fan, like, you know, if there was, you know, I, I remember going out to the car uh, in, in RD to like, to get the grainy radio to Ann Olivia station in Dublin, because it was George Byrne who passed away a couple of years back. Great guy, a uh, Shamrock Roberts fan. So you may not like him as much, but, uh, but, uh, and, and, and Billy Bagster. And they used to do a program on a Monday, on a Monday night, which was, I think the only hour of League of Ireland radio chat you could get anywhere. Yeah. And I'd, be, I'd like be sitting out in the carriage trying to tune into it. Whereas now, like you could, you could, you could probably spend ten to twelve hours to, you know, any day, listening if you wanted to go around the league, you know. So you say, does it influence it? Like, I, I, I don't know if it does, but I mean, it should. Like, I, I can't think of instances off the top of my head, but there probably have been times where someone has given a, a notable interview and it gets it gets picked up on, you know. Um, and it, it, as I said, like, you know when like fans are actually pretty well served now in terms of 
being able to listen and access stuff about their club. I think the pandemic has probably even led to, I think your own podcast, as you mentioned yourself, is a, is a product of that. Like it's been a real struggle to maintain that engagement like throughout this really like horrible time that we've been through. And I think people have upped their game. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens when we get back. Like we have a real media issue for the rest of the season here, like a TV issue for the rest of the season. Sorry, that you know, Air Sport is is no more, uh, which really saddens me. Again, another classic case. Air Sport gave brilliant coverage to the league, but they just yeah. didn't have to. They didn't. They didn't. I know that it didn't make any money for them. You know, which is a, a real. It pains me and us to hear that. Like you know, it really like sickens me that that's the case. And sometimes you just have to hear that and go. Wish that wasn't true, but like it was true. Um, they did a great coverage of the league, but it didn't necessarily pay its way for them. And that's what you know, one of the reasons, you know, a small reason why the station hit bother. But like we have a situation now where Watch LOI is gone and clubs are all gonna do their own thing. And I think you'll find that some clubs are gonna do great stuff, um, from what I hear. But again, it's there's only gonna be like a handful of RCE games between now and the end of the season. Hopefully, some of the European games get picked up. So it's actually driving the league more and more towards its own niche, you know, and it's like what I'm saying earlier. Yes, those of us who love it will be watching our teams, you know, and hopefully the stadiums reopen so it's less of an issue. But you're having a situation where there's quite an interesting league season ongoing at the moment. Like there is a title race developing here. And I'm not sure when the next live TV game is going to be. With the, with, with the RGE doing the Euros, the Olympics and the yeah. GA, I don't know when it's going to air used to do all the games in the summer so um, we may not have I, I could be wrong here but with the exception of the European games we may not have a live league game until August now mm-hmm. you know and that's that's a problem but like there will be regular newspaper coverage all the time it's always there um, but but like maybe people should scream in lights a lot more that it's there but like you know uh, it, it, I think that actually newspaper wise I think the league does reasonably well and sometimes I think in other platforms that's broadcast platforms I think that's actually where a, a big challenge is faced because they're very much I, like, I still think as an Irish newspaper by the way we still have like a, a degree of a public service responsibility that you have to cover your own league that's something I passionately you know, you know support and like I think that we should do that but there's obviously a balance when you're still a commercial organization between what you should do and then what works. But obviously we, I think we've a, you know, there's obviously when you're paying a license fee and stuff like, you know, I think um, there's, there's obviously a, a crowded market there. And I think actually to be fair, sometimes gets a very undeserved stick, but I'm a bit worried over the next couple of months that we're going to have a very interesting league race that everyone's just going to be watching it online. I think that's, that's, that's sort of sad, like really. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we were hoping that maybe Premier Sports or someone might step in or you know, try and take up some of the games or Virgin Media don't seem to, you know, and, and they'll just keep making points about figures and finances and stuff that are depressing to hear but are grounded in some kind of truth, you know. Okay. Jerry, have you got anything else? Yeah, no, I'd just like to thank uh, Dan for coming on and it's great to hear his uh, passion for the league um, and it's, uh, yeah, so thanks for all your hard work behind the scenes and uh, yeah, that's really it. No, I well, listen, I hope to hope to be down very, very soon. You know, a European game or a top of the table league game or something. And when we're stadiums are back open, like I will take any feedback to the face. Yeah. It's absolutely, absolutely fine. Like you know, I've probably given some long-winded answers to points here, but I hope I'm yeah. sort of explaining in some way where it comes from. But I also understand there may be more frustration to come. Um, yeah. And my my underlying message is, you know. 
selfish message, but there's a there's a reason behind it. Like you know, send letters to you know if you if you send letters and correspondence to certain places, they will be noticed. But like you can send it to me all you want, but like I you know it's 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 coming back off the wall like a game of squash. You know, like go for a bit of tennis, knock it over to the net to someone else, and uh, you might find actually that that's more productive or, or people might listen. So that's uh, Dan McDonnell, Dan McDonnell even uh, from the Irish Independent, and uh, very kind of him to give him give us his time. Um, what were your What are your thoughts uh, overall, Thatcher? Um, he's a good advocate to have, I suppose. That's kind of our takeaway from it, isn't it? He's in a prominent position in the media. He's promoting the league. Yeah, um, you can see, you can hear the passion um, from and for the league um, in the way he comes across. Um, and look, in fairness, he was very, very honest. Um, in what he what he spoke about, um, and look, I think at the end of the day, we all know deep down, like you know, most people don't have uh, you know too much of a, a Dublin bias, but at the same time, too, we would like to see our, our name up there more often and been more prominent. Um, and I think as well that Connor that. It's kind of Sligo Rovers, and I said the Sligo Rovers rep- represents the the people of the Northwest, and the people of Sligo and the Northwest are constantly let down by the establishment, and sometimes the the media is kind of um, again it's a representation of the establishment, and I suppose Daniel kind of got the the backlash from that because in fairness he was he was brave enough to put his head above the parapet, yeah, but uh, yeah, so you know, we do feel hard hard done by at times and a lot of it is justified, but in fairness to, to Daniel, he put across some really good points. Yeah, okay. Um, so, uh, we're sponsored by the White Hag Brewing Company out of Ballymoat in County Sligo, uh, a leader, uh, leading um, independent brewery. And um, we're delighted to say that um, a little bit earlier on, we spoke to Bob Coggins from uh, the brewery uh, and uh, he wanted to come on board and just tell us a little bit more about... Um, uh, the relationship between uh, the brewery and the trust and why they got involved in sponsoring the podcast. And uh, we also uh, started uh, workshopping a little idea on potentially getting uh, 40 or 50 Rovers fans out to the brewery to taste some beers and possibly to watch a match. So uh, so here's Bob. Okay, we've got Bob Coggins from the White Hag with us. Um, thanks a million for joining us and uh, thanks a million for the support that the White Hag have given us uh, over the last, oh, I don't know, what are we like six seven weeks uh, of uh, involvement with the, the white hag so i suppose first of all bob why did the white hag want to get on board with a group of ruffians like ourselves um i don't recall having a choice connor uh, but <laughs> <laughs> would be my would be the observation i would make uh, around that negotiation i uh, know first of all th- thanks for having me on uh, this is not a place for me um uh, to be contributing really but I'm, I'm delighted to have the opportunity to come on behalf of the brewery um why we want to get involved uh, to support the work you guys are doing because you guys support a, a vital community resource for us um uh, which is uh, the Rovers. Uh, it's it's long been since I was a kid coming to Rovers, uh, coming to the showgrounds from Glencar. Uh, it's been a, a vital, um, I don't know, a, a, a kind of a pillar of the community, but without being a person, if you know what I mean. Uh, it's it's something that we're Sligo people have been very proud of, um, and we've been very proud of the association we've had with you guys. Um, and a, a kind of just in a snapshot, um, 
one of the things that really struck me was when we did the beer with the Rovers two years ago, we did the, uh, the showgrounds and uh, there was just this groundswell of support and, you know, delivery drivers coming to us and uh, uh, people dropping into the brewery and people we talked to in the street, just uh, amazed at the support and the idea that we had put, put in place. And it was really an idea that uh, one of the guys in Rovers had had and we were happy to roll in with. And ever since then, we've been looking at um, just ways of supporting the club and we need to do better. We need to be more involved. Um, because a lot of the cycle community put a lot in to keep Rovers going and, and to, to keep the club alive. Um, and businesses need to have an active place in that. They need to be more involved in, in ensuring that Rovers um, remains a very strong representative um, sporting organisation for the Northwest. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, I suppose the other thing to say is that we, we, um, we did have a couple of other uh, sponsorship options um, from less locally focused organisations, I suppose. So uh, we were really happy to... Um, to, that you came on board with us, and that um, and that we we have the connection that we have. So I, I'm just for myself. I'm kind of interested in where. How did the brewery end up? Or where? How did this thing in Ballymote happen? Where did this all come from? Completely by accident. Um, we we um, we had a, a how do I put this? We had a guy who um, um, originally had the idea and the concept for a brewery in Ballymote, um, James Ward, and he pulled in myself and a mate of mine who I worked with in Dublin in a, in a marketing agency and two other locals, Paul Mullen and Brian McTiernan, um, uh, who were his accountants. Um, we essentially created the brewery and brought a brewer over from Ohio and founded it in 2013, got the first beer out in June 14. Um, about a year later, James exited the business and set up his own brewery. Subsequently, Lock Brewing and, and um, myself, Paul and Brian have kind of uh, emerged as the um, three founders who have worked in the brewery and, and been executive, the, the executive of the brewery since. Um, buying Ballymote, um, it's as good a place as any to have a brewery. The water quality is excellent, even though Lock Talk water is often on a boil notice. Uh, the pH level is really good for making beer and uh, we boil it anyways. Um, uh, the not gonna lie it's it's a, an affordable place to get a building to get a business off the ground uh we now own the building and the premises that we're based in um and that's a strong kind of anchor for us um and you know it's it's, it's actually a really good place to have a brewery we're getting a tap room up and running and uh, we're on the train line so it's really easy for a festival and for events to get people to come from uh dublin to get get to come out from sligo and all the way along um across the middle of the country to come to us yeah. um so yeah, it's kind of by accident, but kind of on purpose. Yeah. So, uh, and I'd say many people are probably aware of um, the Hagstravaganza events that you ran out in the brewery, uh, where you literally uh, get a train load of people and bring them in and provide entertainment. And um, obviously it's about experiencing uh, white hag beers and also beers from other breweries around the, the world. It's, um, it's as much a cultural event as it is um, just about the, the beer. Um, so is there is there opportunities for um, fan engagement, for Rovers fan engagement in, in, in that regard? Could something similar be, be achieved? Uh, absolutely. We, we have, you know, I know some of the faces um, from the Rovers are also, you know, they also overlap in the Venn diagram of, of beer fans. Uh, I think Rovers people like a beer. Uh, a lot of them do. But also we, we, we see some of them out in the brewery and um, I see people 
friends of mine um, who are in, involved in Rovers uh, in Dublin and other parts of the country uh, tweeting and texting about our beer. Uh, but yeah, we, we're opening a tap room. Um, and so we're going to have a proper facility for facilitating uh, tours and, and guest um, visits and, and brewery tours and, and tastings. So we'd love to put something like that together. Uh, it can be a regular thing, but also probably, probably useful to introduce, like we did with the beer two years ago, introduce people to the brewery at an accessible way, in an accessible way, with an accessible beer or two, um, we'd love to do that. Um, that's probably something for I don't know you guys or the Rovers. But yeah, that's, that sounds that sounds uh, sounds really cool. Um, and it's something I'd say a lot of people would be interested in. Just get away on the train, uh, fifteen minutes away, and go out and have a bit of crack and come back on the train again. So. Uh, yeah, with a few words, yeah. so sounds it makes great. It easy. We've already done it for Ballymote Celtic and Ballymote GA. Like it's a, oh. it's a, it's a bit of an overrunner. That they do like team building sessions and sessions in the brewery. And oh, we build uh, teams yeah. out there. Don't worry, we'll build teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd love, we'd, we'd, we would love to have it. Though. You know, there, there, there's a big European game coming up, Bob. That we mightn't be able to travel to, so it could yeah. be for maybe a big screen and we can go out and maybe talk some nonsense for you for a few minutes as well and that's a great idea would you host because we we could host the the podcast from the tap yeah. room do a, an up for the match type thing um put in a screen put in kegs it just hook lines straight up to the fermenter for the bright tank i can see that's that right. that's not a bad idea at all actually that's sorry is this is this all this all, obviously would all be covid friendly and uh, and you're editing this podcast right <laughs> <laughs> but obviously yeah 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 so, all within go all within covid uh, guidelines yeah yeah just in case pat conway turns up <laughs> well, sure, if it only has to be the four or five of us for that they want it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, yeah but yeah. that is that, that is the type of thing like uh, it's the type of thing we'd love to facilitate you, you talk about it being being local um like our tap room is should be built to be the, the, the storehouse of sligo um beer tourism is huge and people think oh beer tourism can't can it be that big the uh, store the storehouse in Dublin is the single biggest paid tourist attraction in the country right so beer tourism is huge you go to the states and, and it's massive we get people emailing us calling us DMing us on social all week long when we're outside of COVID time obviously looking to get into the brewery and we're, not, we're a production facility we're, we're a factory until we get this tap room built um, but it's a it's just a, another aspect of the business that will benefit Sligo because we're already creating, we've about 20 people employed in the brewery. Um, it could easily add another four or five through tourism initiatives like like the tap room and tours. Uh, no problem um, if we get to just get to that capacity. So um, we'd, we'd love to do that. Uh, when do you hope to have the tap room completed? Um, we're picking tiles and uh, uh, trying to figure out the... the uh, hardware, software for the yeah, software for the bathrooms and the bar at the moment. So we're hoping the next kind of month, six weeks before we're also hoping to have extravaganza on the August bank all the weekend. So we're kind of aiming for uh, end of July, mid to end of July to be open. Right. Okay. Okay. And the extravaganza for twenty twenty one is on the cards, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> on the card it's going to be smaller uh we're going to do the box travaganza which is the online event and then we send the boxes out to people in advance with beers 24 different beers from around the world and then we um host that live and that's what we did last year from the brewery this year the idea is have 500 people on site have 500 people at home send the boxes out have beer on site and interview the brewers live um so kind of have a hybrid um but nothing beats being at the brewery for extravaganza for a full day uh eight hours tasting up to 90 beers uh, it's a good session live bands some good food we had dobros and flip side uh, amongst others there two years ago and yeah it's just a great day 
Um, I think it's also a good and a pertinent time to mention that um, your colleague Leanne Waters has been on to us. I said this at the top of the podcast, but I'm going to say it again. And um, the White Hag have been very kind in their offering all the Bitter Red Supporters Trust podcast listeners a 10% discount uh, on all the beers available from thewhitehag.com. And you can use the code BIT OF RED, BIT OR RED 10 uh, when you're making your purchases. That's B I T O R E D 10. Um, when you're checking out on the website and that is valid until Monday the 7th of June as far as I know so um, we're very grateful for that thanks to uh, Bob and Leanne and all the team uh, at the White Hag so um, you know one of the interesting things about um, uh, that I suppose you know when you think about the White Hag and I think it's fair to say the White Hag is pretty well known it's putting it's helping put Sligo on the map as well it's um, uh, you know I suppose you would call yourselves a small company but you're making a big impact and uh, it's similar uh, you know you'd say something similar about the Rovers um, we do shouts in the shed end uh, each week on the podcast. We get people to email in uh, their their um, their thoughts on on the rovers, and um, you know we get we get our shouts in from all over the world, whether it's Alabama in the states or um, people, some Sligonians in uh, Argentina or the Middle East, and uh, we got uh, we got a shout in from Peru from Sylvia Figueroa. Who is she? We don't know. She's got some connection, but um, I suppose what I'm trying to say is that. Um, Obviously, the Rovers have a global reach, and um, and so do the White Hag, and uh, and we're and we're, we're, we're great. It's great. It's great to have you on board. So maybe we can uh, we can toss around this idea a little bit more about um, uh, getting Rovers fans and um, Better Edge uh, supporters trust members out to out to the uh, the brewery over the coming uh, coming weeks and months, Bob. And maybe we can tease that a little bit further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. Um... I, like one of the things we've done is use them as a fundraiser as well. So if there's a particular initiative, uh, we can quite easily say, right, let's let's let us sponsor some beers and and, and tours and stuff, and perhaps use um, you know create an event that people buy into. You know, single ticket price, all in beers, and you get to taste the full gamut of beers, um, and then and then make a contribution back from that towards them. Um, Towards something that rovers are doing. Yeah. I know the last, like last time we did it, it was like raised five grand towards um, towards uh, one of the initiatives that rovers were. It was actually the new stand we made a contribution towards. Um, I think it was kicking out seats in the new stand. But yeah, something like that. Uh, is is there you know is there appetite? I'm interested to hear from your listenership. Is there appetite for 40, 50 people hop on the train and and then we split it up in tours of kind of fifteen at a time. Definitely. Yeah, I'd say there's, I'd say there's uh, a real appetite. Yeah, I'd say I'd say if, if we were to open it up in the morning, we'd have it full uh, by by the evening. Um, we'd fill the 45, 50 uh, seats on the train or or, or whatever mode of transport that would get us out there. Um, fill that in an hour. Yeah, easy peasy. Yeah, because one one of the things that one of the things that's worth I'm going to mention is that Gary Mooney. Um, uh, has a connection obviously to Moonies across the road but Gary's uh, w- one of our lead brewers um, he's our lead brewer actually behind the master brewer uh, and he's a Sligo native he is probably the only Sligonian uh, brewing Ireland brewing beer in Ireland at the moment so he's learned his trade with us came, moved back he worked in Dublin with Niall Hessian in um, right. in yeah. El Mulligans but, yeah. and also the Brown Bag Project and then moved back full time into brewing with us and learned his trade with us so he's a vocationally trained um, brewer with us in, in the White Hag uh, and he's a massive Rovers fan and is a is a stellar um, kind of uh, regular attendee at, at, the, at the games he would be doing the tours Um that's the kind of connection that we're, we're kind of developing. We'd, we'd love to see that. 
some of our brewers from Ohio, from the States, and we needed that experience. We needed that kind of vocational experience that they, they, those guys have from their kids home brewing and, and brewing lots of different styles of beer that we miss in Ireland. Brewing wasn't a thing in Ireland until recently. And so we didn't have like a natural audience of brewers to bring in and, and, and choose from. So the, the lads from Ohio kind of kickstarted and got, got us off the ground. But it's brilliant to see some homegrown talent coming through. We've got two youngsters joining full-time next week from the Brewing College course in Carlow IT. Um, we've also got a girl who's um, uh, Erica, who's on placement from that course. She's in third year. The two that we hired to start next week were um, on placement last year with us. So it's like a, a pipeline of talent coming through that's starting now in Ireland that we wouldn't have had. And we'd love to see that continuing locally, you know, we'd love to see local people get into the scene. But bringing people into the brewery extends that out into a grassroots network like Rovers and like the GEA and Ballymote to get them into the brewery, understand what we're doing and understand that the beer we're making is better than anything that you're going to get anywhere uh, around the country. And it's fresher and it's, far less additives and, and far less taken away as well um, and it's only by experiencing that by getting into the brewery you really get a handle on that you know so that, that'd be great it'd be amazing if we could do that but let's yeah. try and do it I don't know put it out you want to put it out on social mm. see if people are interested in it and we'll look at what the opening up dates allow us to do yeah. maybe when's that game when's the Euro game the, well the European games well depending on how we progress through the competition but they start in the middle of uh, this month uh, is that right mm. and um you know, we'd hopefully get it through uh, round one, which will bring us into July, I guess. And then yeah. who knows after that? Maybe the dates mightn't work out. Maybe they do work out, but we'll see. But I suppose we don't have to be, um, we don't have to hang our hat on on um, on that. No. Um, we, can, no. we can be flexible, you know. Uh, just, yeah, to, yeah. just to mention on Gary Mooney, uh, your uh, lead brewer there, and uh, he's got a strong flag of Rovers connection as well. He is, I'm pretty, I'm pretty certain when I say this, although I am open to correction, uh, but I think he is a nephew of... Um, of Mick Bomber Savage, who would have played the Rovers uh, in the eighties, uh, from from Balisadere, um, so another nice little connection between uh, the Brewery, uh, Sligo Rovers, and uh, what we're doing. It's it's all over the list. I've just moved into Strandhill Road, um, and my neighbour directly across the way, Sonia, her dad managed the seventy seven team. Sonia McManus. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, literally, I was having a beer with her her certain husband on um saturday night and discovered this you know it's like yeah it's everywhere it's pervasive <laughs> for sure yeah. uh, what's interesting actually in the scene is that as we did the showgrounds beer two years ago there, a lot more clubs have aligned with breweries locally yeah. uh, around the country and it's it's snowballing which is brilliant to see but yeah. but but it's also amazing to see that, that kind of connection between that the brewing community and and soccer uh, particularly soccer uh developing in a way that you know you never see Guinness sponsoring the local kids team or the local underage team or or you can't you can't see big international brands coming in and doing that but there's a real sense of pride I think amongst the grassroots fans that they have a local beer did you have a local yeah. beer because we yeah. didn't have that for 100 years in, in, in Sligo and and now you've you know you have service like you have your local butcher you have local farmers markets you've um lots of different production uh, and Sligo's blessed with manufacturing and production but but brands everyday brands that you can consume especially something like beer there seems to be that extra kind of connection with fans that's working in the League of Ireland in a gar um or kind of associated with Finn Harps and I see the you had a bit of a side bet there. So did they send down the 
the case of beer yet? N- nothing. Not a sign of it. <laughs> nothing. Complete silence. Radio silence. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it reminds me, I must shame them on Twitter into that. We'll just do yeah. that, do yeah. that, do Cold that night. kind of f- finger tapping waiting uh, yeah. gif. Um, <laughs> but that's, yeah, actually, we, we will. We'll activate that. But like, uh, I've seen it. I think Porterhouse are doing it with uh, Bose, as do Trouble Brewing do a bit with them. Yeah. And uh, uh, Bo- Bose a very new um, fan-driven podcast as well, and I can't remember the brewery that brewery that they've um, that they've hooked up with. But um, again, the same thing is happening. And um, so yeah, like there's 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 a strong connection uh, between fan culture and um, and the um, you know the micro brewing. I mean, is that is that is that a term that you still use in micro brewing? It's like people say craft beer. I prefer to say independent beer because yeah. it you can see that I'm one of the owners of the brewery. But there's the other two main executive owners are based here in Sligo, Paul Wall and Brian McTiernan, and there's a couple of others uh, in the background. But we are completely invested. I've just moved back to Sligo because creating this job in the brewery for me uh, allowed me and my wife to move back to Sligo. She's from Glencar, I'm from Calhoun, or she's from. Colonia, I'm from Glencar, um, and and we're we're able to a create jobs at home and b create a job for ourselves at home uh, back in Sligo, um, and that's that's nice to be able to do. But to 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 keep doing that and to keep growing that takes a lot of investment in terms of the capital, but also the investment of the community around you. Um, we did the maths recently, and we figured out that if um, if, if, if for every 10 pubs who sign up to pour your beer and can pour a, a keg and a half of beer a week, we'd have to create a job, right? So just let that settle in and think about that. Like we'd have to, if you had an extra 10 pubs in Sligo pouring our lager or pouring our stout, we would have to create an extra job just for packaging and, and brewing and the full process of that. So uh, every every league club, and say you've got three or 4,000 supporters including the sunshine ones and the hardcore all-weather fans um around the country every batch of those supporters who say actually you know something i'm going to choose local or i'm going to get behind the local brand uh, in my pub or in my offices or in my supermarket that can make a real tangible difference to how that community then invests in that brewery uh, and supports that brewery and then how the brewery activates to employ people locally um without getting into the, the micro kind of economic climate too much there's a real knock-on effect there we can yep. see it uh, every time we grow we have to employ more people so yeah no, it's, yep. uh, it's, it's a great connection to have um so um just to wrap things up i suppose we'll say um uh, you know obviously we all stand over uh, the product it's really good and you can get it in centra you can get it uh, more recently it's been made available in little and um if yeah. it's not if it's not in your your local off license um ask for it i guess yeah ask people why and, and the same with pubs um we've got bloggers dry stouts red ales uh, as good as you'll drink anywhere uh especially when you see multiple taps of them um so if you want you should put a little bit of a, a word in with your local on or off trade uh um host and say you know Give, give the white hag a spin. Uh, we'd also obviously love to see it at some stage down the line in the future, maybe a clubhouse, maybe some hospitality in the showgrounds. Um, it's the kind of thing that can really make a difference to a, to a club. I know there's probably a lot of bridges to cross before that happens, but we'd be keen on supporting that for sure. Yeah, well, once we get our 17 million um, uh, raised through whatever means possible and we get our hospitality set up, I'm sure 
we can make all that happen. Um, listen, yeah. uh, uh, Bob, just to say thanks a million um, for thanks a million for the support that the White Hag gives to the podcast and to um, and then to the Rovers in the back of that. Um, we really appreciate it. And here's to um, here's to a growing relationship between um, both organisations. And um, we'll have you back on to firm up the details in relation to our our train to Ballymote uh, in the future. Yeah, yeah. And, and thanks, thanks you guys, first of all, for choosing to have us involved and sponsoring the podcast, uh, but also for doing this, for running the podcast. It, it's, a, it's a lifeline of information and insight into Rovers that people you know, don't get otherwise. Um, it's timely and uh, it's, it's really entertaining as well. Uh, and uh, I wish you all the best with it. Um, the, better, the more we can be involved, in it, the better. So. That's uh, Bob Coggins from the White High Brewing Company. Um, okay, well, this sounds interesting, doesn't it? I'm ready excited, Connor. <laughs> I, I'm excited, yeah. I'm excited. Uh, uh, I wish it was tomorrow. Yeah. So we might put it out there. Um, you know, just let us know. Uh, see with you on the train out to Ballymore tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be standing outside the outside the White Hag. Uh, let a us know. Little bag of sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> let us know if you're interested in uh, in the idea. If you think it could be a runner. Um, on Twitter or Facebook, or you can email us podcast at borst.ie, or um, you can message any of us. But uh, we're we're looking to see, we're looking to um, get a feel from the listeners whether you think this might, or maybe it's not a good idea. But you let us know. <laughs> um, yeah, so so that'll be great. So we'll um, we'll work on that, and uh, don't forget your ten percent discount by using uh, the uh, discount code bitterred ten um, when you're checking out on um, on the bit of uh, on the White Hag. Uh, website and just to say, I think June twentieth is Father's Day. Is that right? You know, yeah, if you're looking for think, if you're looking for a present for Father's Day, there you go, ten percent off. So um, to wrap things up, the last thing I think we just wanted to have a chat about. Um, obviously, we've no game next week, um, but we will have a podcast next week. Um, but we do have a game next week. Uh, we've a game on Saturday, uh, Saturday week. Um, but we just want to have a quick chat about the streaming service that the the club have. Um, confirmed, which sounds like great news. Um, I think we're getting... What, what is it, Jerry? You give us an overview. It's, it's three cameras. It's a very professional... It sounds like a very professional um, offering. Yeah, so from what I picked up, it's um, you've got three cameras um, f- uh, filming the game. Uh, you've got replays. You've got a commentator. You've got a co-commentator. Um, so it's... Look, Lee, watch League of Ireland. Watch LOI was brilliant, but this is going to be bring it to a, a totally different level and I think um, one thing that we've talked about over the last few weeks is the lack of replays so that's going to be a, a real game changer um, really looking forward to that so um, basically the, the 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 footage will be uplifted to um, a, a portal a uh, League of Ireland portal and that's where you access your games yeah, so yeah. the the, the yeah. platform upon which the Women's National League and the First Division is currently accessible from um so you know, it kind of you know, I was thinking today with the announcement of um, some of the test uh, games in Tala and possibly Turner's Cross um, that maybe we might get to see games at the end of the season. But Magoo, you don't think that there'll be any access to to League of Ireland games between now and then? Is that right? I was saying there won't be any away fans. Ah, there'll be no away fans. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't imagine that. But I know. I think we would definitely be in the ground. I told you. I'd be hoping around July, maybe. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're starting with 100 in June, isn't it? Which is a drop in the ocean, and it's a bit ridiculous, but 
look, it's a starting point, and like that, but we go. I, I like I would, I'd be hoping for five hundred in July, mm. and I think that's a reasonable expe- expectation. Mm. You know, a, a year and a half in, uh, year and three quarters in, uh, to put five hundred people into a stadium the size of Shogun's, that's that's not unreasonable. That's a minimum, in my opinion. Yeah. You have to give people hope. You're telling us it's going to be yeah. there for summer, like 500 people in the size of that stadium. Like, look at the yeah. scenes all around the country at last weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And we've already done it, Thunder. We've, we've had, I can't remember how many of the, I was in there against Bulls the other last season. I think it might have been 200 people in there. Like, we've done it already. You know, it's not, Absolutely. Like, and it's not like this is, we're trying to figure things out. Like, this has been done. No, and, and it's a credit to Sligo Rovers as well and how they operate the system down there. They're, they're a credit to the league in how they operate their COVID their COVID guidelines. I was in there for the Shells game, the first game back when we were all when we were allowed back in. And it was brilliant the way it was carried out. Very safe. Everything was done proper. There was no chances taken or wasn't any fly by night when you got in in beyond the gate. It was done well. So I can imagine It'll be done well when they go back this time round. And I, I'd agree with Jerry. I don't see why we couldn't have five hundred in there. It's so simple to spread that out. Yeah. yeah. And just to give a shout out to Michael Mulvaney, who's the COVID um, coordinator there, along with Shane Cross, and uh, but they've done an unbelievable job. And they've actually the club have run say two buses to every game, uh, which they've had to, and one goes on each bus uh, week in week out to make sure everything is run properly. And I know a lot of clubs have uh, complimented Rovers on the way they've handled the COVID situation, and um, I think they've probably been a, a leader in that regard. Yeah. So it's a little bit disappointing not to get in as part of the trial games. Yeah, mm. it is. And you like just another person to mention, uh, Shane Crossan, who obviously does Trojan work down the showgrounds. Uh, he runs the summer uh, the summer camps um, across the summer. They're all sold out now, as far as I know. Uh, my young fellow was down there last year, and like it's military precision uh, in relation to the COVID, um, you know, the COVID restrictions and all that. But all the kids love it. You know, if it's pissing rain. They still come back <clears throat> with saying they've had a great day, um, but you know all the procedures and protocols are met. So, like across the board, the club are, you know, they need, as you said, everyone needs to be commended on all their efforts. Uh, anything else? Anne Magoo. Anne Magoo. Yeah. Anne Magoo. So, yeah. You know, work. Fastest temperature checker in the West. <laughs> yep. He's up, he's, he's in the top ten in the country, definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the HSE are looking to they're head headhunting him. Try, try to scan us through the computer and everything in here at night. <laughs> yeah. Put that gun down, Magoo. Put it down. He, he can get your temperature from 20 feet. <laughs> you don't even know it. Oh, you no. take your temperature. It's accuracy. <laughs> yeah. Um, anything else before we finish up? No? Just looking forward to the train out that boy, like. Honest yeah. to God. Um, I just and wanted again. to say myself before we finish up... Uh, if you haven't already listened to the Richie Ryan interview in last week's episode, um, check it out. It's been it's been a hugely successful episode, got really big numbers and um, really big listenership numbers because um, the the interview is so good with uh, between uh, Richie Ryan, Magoo, and Gunner. Sean, sorry, I just wanted to just give a wee shout out, and I, I'm not even sure if he listens or not, but it's just for um, Joseph Cullen who got oh, over yeah. his battle with COVID. And just to say, as a Sligo Rovers fan, he's an inspiration to every one of us. So he is. He's brilliant. Yeah. And yeah. just to wish him all the best in his continued battle, because he's, I know Joe and he's an absolute gentleman. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great well fighter. Done. Well done. Uh, there was great, great pictures of him in the hospital as well. Um, well, leaving the hospital. Yeah. Course, you know. 
thinking of everybody who lived, didn't it? You know, yeah. lovely to see things like that. Like, um, it's an inspiration. It really is. He's an inspiration. I don't know what we're going to talk about next week, um, but we'll have to get our fingers wrapped on. Um, maybe uh, we're going to have a chat about uh, some incoming bodies into the into the, the squad. Um, I mean, I haven't heard any rumours or anything. <laughs> so I don't, know what, I don't know what angle we're going to take on that, but we could, um, we could go down that direction. Um, well, well, what time we're going to leave for the White Hag? We could do that, yeah, yeah. We could start taking names and booking seats onto the train, or you know, uh, yeah. we could do we could do a, a reconnaissance mission, maybe. Well, now you're talking. Yeah, yeah. we're getting giddy. <laughs> right. Better go. Yeah, we'll leave it. We'll leave it there. Okay, uh, Jared, thanks a million. Thanks, Connor. Connor, thank you. Cheers, Connor. And we go. Thank you. No reply. <laughs> <laughs> he left you hanging. <laughs> He's not talking to you now. You give him too much stick. I said cheers, boys. <laughs> All right, okay, okay, okay. All right. Listen back. Listen back and hear it. I will do that. Do that. All right. Good luck. That's it.